Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Just a little bit of sun goes a long way, right? Helping us all feel a little better? Uh, awesome. Well, we are wrapping up a series today that we've been in for the last few weeks uh, on having a relationship with God. And we've been talking about what it means to move past just religion in our life, which is uh, doing a bunch of traditions and practices, but no heart connection. And what is the difference between that and having a relationship with Jesus, which is living and active and engaged, and you are interacting with the Lord, and he's speaking to you. And we've been talking about all the different nuances that go along with that, and you can go back and listen to all of them. But there is a common theme in everything that we talked about every single week. We talked about the fact that hearing the voice of God is almost always going to start by reading your Bible, right? Can you all relate? We said that over and over again, that reading our Bible and the study of scripture is foundational to our relationship with God. It's, it's being close to him. One of the ways that we have to grow in our faith is by reading our Bible. Now, that sounds like a really good idea, but sometimes that can be challenging. Like, where do I start? You know, a lot of people will be like, yeah, I want to read my Bible, but I open it up and I'm like, ooh, I get a few words in and you're like, this is not an easy read. <laughs> like, what do, how do I do that? What do I do uh, with reading the Bible? I remember um, a number of years ago, maybe a year after we started the church, uh, we were meeting over at the Methodist Church in Farmington and I was teaching a women's Bible study and uh, a young mom came with a friend and she had never heard anything about Jesus before, never been to church, had no concept at all, but just had been invited with a friend to come to this Bible study. And so I taught the lesson that day, and afterwards I started talking to her, and she was so moved, and 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 by the time the conversation went over, she says, I just want to give my life to God. I just, this is something I want in my life, and so I prayed with her, and she accepted Christ as her Savior, and it was beautiful, and I said, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to grab you a Bible, and now you can take a Bible and go home and start reading it and studying it, and that's how we learn about God. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on a second. Um, you want, what do you mean I need a Bible? I'm like, well, now you have to start reading and learning about God. And she, I'm not kidding. She said, is there a movie? Is, can I get a movie about that? And I was like, oh, well, I mean, there are movies, but I don't know if that's what we're talking about here. And maybe you could relate to that because some of you signed up to give your life to Christ and you love Jesus and you want to grow in faith, but you had no idea that that was going to involve studying. And you had no idea you were signing up for a life of scholarship and reading and studying and time commitment and praying. And you're like, wait a minute. I think I got suckered into something that I didn't know what was happening. Because the reality is our relationship with Christ is going to require the discipline of study. It's just a part of it. And I know that that sometimes can sound intimidating, but as we've been talking about, with any relationship, you have to make an investment in it, right? When Jeff and I got married, it wasn't enough for me to just go, well, I'm just going to live my life. I had to learn some things. I had to learn how to communicate with him. I had to learn how to be a mom. I had to learn how to be in a relationship with him. I had to invest some time learning some new things in order that our relationship can be close. And it is no different in your relationship with God. Learning how to study the scriptures is going to be a fundamental part of your walk with Christ. And so I know that a lot of times we tell you, read your Bible, read your Bible. And sometimes people are like, I don't even know where to start. And so today I thought it would be great for us to have a really, really practical Sunday 
where I'm just going to talk to you about some very fundamental things about how I study scripture, what some options are for you, some tools, some resources that you can get, some different ways that you can interact with the Bible so that you can learn. So it's going to be a little like a class today. Are you ready for that? Oh, well, good. That's, that's a great response. You sound like classes that I teach for younger people. Okay. Um, so let me start with this. I have a neighbor named Brian, and Brian loves to hunt for antiques. Jeff calls him my dealer because I love junk. I love all the old stuff I can get my hands on. And Brian, if he hears that a barn is getting tore down somewhere, he'll call and be like, I'm going to a barn. I'm going to find stuff. And I'm like, text me pictures when you get there. I can't wait to see. And Brian lives down the street from my house, and, and I'll see him walking down the street with a big box, and I'm like, yay! And Jeff's like, oh, no, here he comes with more crap to put in my house. But I love it because he finds the best treasures. And one of his favorite things to do is when a new housing development's going up in Farmington, he will call the developer and say, hey, before you start digging, can I come over with my metal detector and start going around in the land and see if I can find any treasures? And so almost always they let him go, and he'll come back with bottles and tools and dishes and all kinds, because Farmington's real old, and there's a lot of good stuff out on these fields. And so he always finds the coolest stuff. Now, if Brian were just to walk on those lots, walk on that land, he might find one or two things on the surface. But let me tell you, the real treasure is when you, he digs underneath, and he finds something a little bit more under the surface. He digs a little further. That's where the real treasure is. And I believe it's the same with scripture. We can open our Bibles. We can read something, do it once, and move on. And we're going to get something out of it because the scripture is inspired. And we're going to get the things out of it. But let me tell you, deeper treasures will be found when you dig into scripture deeper. And when you learn the Bible and you learn how to read it and you learn how to apply it in different ways, when you dig in and mine the scriptures, because we will unearth all this beautiful nuance and history and story when we learn how to dig deeper in the scriptures. And here's why this is so important. Second Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture, it's inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what's true to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. This is the guiding posts for our life. Scripture is inspired by God. This is where God tells us who he is. He shows us what he cares about so that we learn to care about it. He shows us the things that are good for us so that we can participate them. He shows us the things that we need to stay away from because they will harm us. This is the guiding post for our life, and it's inspired by God to give us insight as to how we should live. And so we only will get that insight when we read it and when we study it and we learn it. So I want to start by saying that a lot of the study of Scripture in my own life has changed throughout different seasons of my life. I don't really study Scripture the same way I did when I was 16. I don't study, by the way, my dad, that was one of my rules. I had to read my Bible every week, and that was how I got allowance. He paid me to read the Bible, but it worked out okay, I guess. So. But I don't read the same way that I did when I was even 18 or 19 or 20 or 30 or 40, and I'm going to stop there because we're going to reveal too much to you all. But different seasons of life, I think the study of Scripture will look different, Right? There are some seasons that I rely heavily upon other people's insights. 
And that could be maybe because you're just new to faith and you're just learning things. Um, And so, or it could be a season of life where you just need to soak it in and you don't have a lot of time and resources for study. Uh, During those times, I rely heavily on devotionals. So I have a list of devotionals. These are just a few of my favorites if you want to write it down or take a picture of it if you want to look them up if you're looking for something. But for me, sometimes that's, that's a really great first step. You can find something that has a, uh, something for every single day. You go to whatever the day is. There's going to be a Bible verse there and someone's insight into that Bible verse. This is a really great place to start. Because sometimes we don't know how to dig deeper, but somebody else has dug deeper already for us. So we can read a devotional, read a scripture, read what they have to say, and that can be a really great first step. So sometimes just soaking in devotionals, there are seasons of my life that that has been the, the foundation of how I'm studying scripture. Um, some seasons, I'm reading through a lot of scriptures, I'm kind of, maybe I'm trying to get through the Bible in a year. And so each day I'm reading uh, a large quantity of scriptures because I'm having a goal of kind of reading it in the overall big context of scripture. And that's okay too. That can help us understand all of the Bible. So sometimes I'm reading a lot. I'm not spending a lot of time in every little individual thing, but I'm reading the whole context. And let me tell you my favorite resource for that kind of reading. A few years ago, I got a chronological Bible. And it was one of the best things I ever, ever got. Because all the books in the Bible that we read in the order they're in here, it doesn't all go chronologically. So sometimes you're reading something and you're like, where does this fit? Does this fit over here, over here? Well, this Bible, the chronological Bible, has taken all the books of the Bible, all the stories, every chapter, and they put it all in order. So you start in Genesis, and then you're reading through. So for instance, you're in 1 Samuel, and you're reading about King David hiding in a cave, and you're reading the story about David, but then right next to it, they will put the Psalms that David wrote while he was hiding in that cave. And to me, it just illuminated the whole of Scripture. It helped me understand, oh my goodness, like I've read that Psalm a million times, but I never understood that he wrote it right here when he's in this cave. And so the chronological Bible is a fabulous resource if you're wanting to understand the whole of Scripture. And there are some seasons that I have studied one chapter of the Bible for months. There are seasons of my life that I have been stuck on something, you know, during this season of of the last six months when I lost my dad, I think I've written Psalm 23 out every single day. I think I have just gone back and like, okay, back to the basics. And so sometimes we go over a very small portion of scripture and the Lord is doing something and we're meditating on it over and over and over again. And every day the Lord is unveiling new insights. So it's not always quantity. Sometimes it's a very small quantity of scripture, but it's very high quality, and you're really intense on that. Sometimes that has been the case, and I've gone through word by word. When my kids were little, I didn't have a lot of time alone. I would love to have had long hours to sit reading scripture, but it wasn't the luxury that I had during those seasons. And this is, I've had this Bible so long. This is an NLT study Bible. It started out as a hardcover. And then that fell off, and so I duct taped it together, and eventually I found somebody who could rebind my Bible. And let me tell you why I will use this thing till it disintegrates. Because it's filled with crayon and Cheerio stains and coffee stains because there was a very long season of my life that most of my devotionals happened with a little kid sitting on my lap. And Jesus met me there. 
and it wasn't a lot of time, and it was hit or miss, but I just say, crawl up on my lap. We're going to do it together. Let's read this. Okay, let's pray together. And so whatever season you're in, the way you study scripture might change, but what's important is that you're consistent. You find tools in that season that work. I'm in a season of life now where I can spend a lot of time. I have a lot of uninterrupted time uh, to sit and, and read and study. But whatever season you're in, find the tools that are going to help you study scripture. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I've learned a few things over the years that have really helped me, uh, my love for scripture to grow. And so today I want to share you, with you a few resources that have helped me learn how to mine deeper. And so we're going to do this by looking at one of my favorite Bible verses and we're just going to kind of unpack it the way that I would unpack it if I were reading in the morning and I was studying this portion of scripture. So we're going to just do that together. And the scripture we're going to look at is one of all of our all-time favorites, Hebrews 6, 19, which says this. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. How many of you have that on a pillow or framed somewhere in our house? This is a real good tattoo one. We see that a lot. But this is a really common verse. And right on the surface, this is a great scripture. You can read that and pull so much out of it. But this verse has so much incredible depth and meaning. If we just dig a little bit under the surface and start to find, unpack it a, a little bit and find some of the meaning. So the first thing we want to learn is that this book is found in Hebrews which is in the New Testament. It's one of the epistles, which are letters to churches. And the first step in digging deeper in scripture is to understand where this thing is in the Bible. So I have a, a good friend of mine who is a theologian, and he says, just like in real estate, what are the most important things in real estate? Location, 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 location. perfect. In theology and interpreting scripture, context, context, context. That's what you have to remember. So context is, where is this in the Bible? How does it fit together in the bigger story? What are we looking at here? Not just pulling a verse out, but understanding the whole of where it is. So I'm going to give you just a few easy things that you can look at when we're talking about context. The first is the biblical context. How does the scripture you're reading fit within the whole of scripture, right? So Hebrews 16 or Hebrews 6.19 is a part of Hebrews 6. How does that verse fit in the whole chapter? What is the author talking about in chapter 6? We don't want to just pull that verse in, but we want to read the whole chapter and see the theme that he is already talking about. So how does the verse fit in the context of the chapter? Then how does that chapter fit in the context of the book? In the instance of Hebrews, this is being written to a group of Christians who used to be Jewish, hence the word Hebrew, and they are in Rome, and they are suffering incredible persecution. They um, have been uh, killed. They've had all of their property stripped away. This is a group of people suffering and really dealing with a whole lot of stuff. So we need to understand the context of this chapter within the whole book of Hebrews. Why did they write it? What is this whole book about? And then you need to understand the book in the context of the whole of Scripture. Where is this found? New Testament, Old Testament. Who are we addressing? What is the context of what's happening? So the first thing we have to do is understand the biblical context. The second is the literary context. What genre of literature are we reading? Not everything in the Bible is written the same way. 
was written by a bunch of different authors using a bunch of different styles and a bunch of different themes. And so we have to be aware of what kind of literature are we reading. We don't read Lamentations the same way we read Ephesians because it's a different style of writing. And so we have to take that into consideration. Let me tell you a little bit about the literary context of the Bible. 43% of the scriptures are narrative literature, which are stories. Though we read them, and they are stories about somebody, something that happened in their lives, what happened, what they did, what they didn't do, how they interacted with God in those stories. And so 43% of what we're reading, we're reading about somebody else's story. Now, are we supposed to do everything that everyone in the Bible did in the narrative? Oh, heavens, please no. These were not, the, these are not only Jesus. You can do everything Jesus did. But the rest of them, these people are a mess. The Bible is not filled with perfect stories of people that did everything perfect because the whole idea is that we're supposed to see ourselves in it and go, oh, yeah, I've made that mistake. Or, oh, yep, I have a tendency to want to do that. And we watch them succeed. We watch them fail. And in all of it, we watch them interact with God. And we learn about who God is by seeing the stories of people in Scripture. So you have to ask yourself, is this a narrative? Is what I'm reading a story about somebody? So this isn't saying, well, okay, now I'm going to go, I'm going to go stand out at the lake and I'm going to put my rod out and I'm going to part the sea. Well, no, we're reading about an experience of somebody and there are things that we can glean from it, but it's different in, than just literal, right? 43% is narrative. 33% of the Bible is poetry. And we have to read poetry like poetry, we can't read poetry literal. So let's say that you go to the book of Lamentations and you start reading, everything is meaningless under the sun. Why do I even get up in the morning? And you're like, who wrote this? This is terrible. Why is this in the Bible? Why in the world would somebody want this in here? Well, it's poetry. And you know when that's really great to read? When you're going through something really hard. And all of a sudden you open up and go, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful that somebody took and was able to write out the emotion of what I'm feeling right now. And there are a lot of things in scripture that are poetic because they are expressing song and, and glory to God. They're expressing heartache and lament. And we have to read poetry like poetry. So when you're reading, you have to ask yourself what the context is. And 24% of scripture is discourse. This is speeches, letters, and essays. So we have to understand that when these letters or essays or sermons or speeches were given, they were given to a particular group of people in a particular time for a particular reason. So when we're reading the writing of Paul to the churches, we have to know that there was a reason Paul picked up his pen. Something was going on with the people, something he wanted to say to them. If he was writing to an individual, he wanted to uh, tell them a message. And Paul in particular would build his case. He would say, here's why I'm writing. And then he would start adding one thought after another thought after another thought to make his point to address something to those people. So we have to know what kind of literature are we reading when we read the scriptures. The next thing we need is historical context. Who is this written to? And what is happening in their lives? So we have to think of the culture that they're in. The language, the time period and practices, just like we talked about with Hebrews, this was written to a particular group of people who have a history in the Jewish faith, 
but who now are Christians, and they're living in Rome, and they're being persecuted, and this is the context historically of what is happening when this is written. This is really, really important. And let me tell you, one of the best places that you can get historical context is in your study Bibles. So I took a picture of kind of the opening pages of Hebrews in my Bible. We usually just flip past those pages at the beginning of each book. But your Bible is going to have all of this information right there. It's going to say who the author is. It's going to say when it was written. You might even get a map or two. It's going to say why they wrote it, what the historical context, and then an overview of everything that you're going to read. This will help you get into really trying to be in the frame of mind of understanding what is going on when you read. So context, context, context. Start with the understanding of what is happening in the book and understand what they're going through. So now we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. It's one of the few books of the Bible that we don't know. But uh, a lot of people believe that it, it definitely wasn't Paul, but they think that maybe it was a sermon that was preached to these people, these Hebrews in Rome. And it was written down because it was so meaningful to them, and then it was shared with other churches and other people. And so we will never know. When we get to heaven, we can ask. But until then, we don't know. But I want to share a little bit of my process. So let's say I'm studying Hebrews 6.19 in the morning when in my devotional. So I'm going to actually share my screen because there are so many online tools that I kind of want to show you some of those today. It used to be when I was first starting to read scriptures, I would have to have 50 books out on my table every morning of like this and this. and <laughs> What in the world? Jeff, <laughs> what are you doing? I should not let him be in charge of the computer. It's my handsome husband. That, he's all mine, everybody. It's all mine. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Pastor Jeff's making a mess. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I don't even know where I'm at now. Okay. No, Jeff. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. Okay, so if I'm going to study scripture, now there's so many online tools that you can do. You don't have to have a million books in your own library. You can go online. So here's what I would do in the morning. If I'm looking for a scripture, let's say I'm looking for Hebrews. Okay, so I'm going to pull up. This is BibleHub.com. This is one website that I use almost every morning. So you're going to go in Hebrews 6, 19. You can type it in too, but I like to do it this way. And we're going to start by looking up parallel interpretations. So over here, I use the NLT. My Bible right here is the NLT. So I'll start by writing in my journal the NLT version because that's the one that I use and that's in my paper Bible. But then I want to go in and now I can see every other kind of translation. So look, they're all laid out right here for you. So what I'll start to do is I'll read through how all the different versions will start to word things a little differently, give you a couple different nuances. Anything that stands out to me, I'll write that verse in that, in that translation. There's so many different great tr uh, translations here. Like um, even, it's not in this one, but like there's the ERV, which is the easy reader version, which I use whenever I'm teaching kids. Because it's basically the scriptures, but they take out all the big words. And sometimes that's just great for my normal day, right? So there's so many different translations. So I'll usually start there. So Bible Hub is a great place to start. The other one is Bible Gateway. Anybody use Bible Gateway? Yes, Bible Gateway is another one. It'll do the same thing. Here's Hebrews 6.19. I can read the full chapter. I can view, again, all those parallel translations. But I want to show you something over here because this is what's cool. Bible Gateway, I think I pay $4.99 a month to have access to what I'm about to show you. 
but it's totally worth it. You can give up one coffee a month for, to be able to have all this. But having a study Bible goes so far in being able to understand scripture because you can read a verse and then immediately you just look below and it's going to give you some of this insight that we're talking about. What does this mean? Give me some place to start. And there are all kinds of study Bibles. You can have, there are some written for, written for women, some written for men. Our recovery group on Tuesday night uses the Life Recovery Study Bible. So not only is it giving you information, but then it's got articles and everything with the point of helping you overcome addiction. So there's so many great resources out there. But right over here with my 499 membership, this is not uh, sponsored, by the way, I can have oops, I can have access to all of these resources. So look at all these study Bibles that I now can have. All these study Bibles are at my fingertips. And then I have dictionaries and lexicons and all kinds of commentary that I can now open. Dictionaries, encyclopedias, this is all now accessible to me to read and understand the scriptures different. So let's say I'm reading that, and let's say I decide that I want to do the NIV study Bible. I'm going to click on this, and now here is the notes from the NIV study Bible, which I don't have in my possession. So I'm just showing you a couple tools that you can kind of start adding if you want to have a way for you to study the scripture different. This is a great way to start it. Um, and for very easy. Now, I'm going to take you another step. Now, for some of you, this is like, you're like, okay, that's enough. Some of you, maybe you're like, no, I really actually want to learn a few more steps of how I can study scripture. And I'm going to show you a method that I started using probably 15 years ago. And it absolutely changed my life. Because the original, uh, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. Anybody in the room speak Greek or Hebrew? Anybody? Anybody? No, me neither. Yeah. So, so we have to rely on other people's interpretation of those languages. But here's the problem. It's not just Hebrew and Greek. It's ancient Hebrew and Greek. And sometimes we don't have the words in our common English language to describe what they're meaning. And so sometimes we read. That's why I like reading all those translations, because it starts to kind of unlock all the different nuance. And so looking at the original Greek and Hebrew sometimes can help unlock portions of scripture in a new way. So we're going to go back to uh, Bible Hub right over here. So I have my Hebrews 619 up, and I'm going to click right here, which is interlinear. So this is now showing me the Greek. So there's the Greek right there. There's the transliteration, and here's the English. So what I'll do is I'll find one or two key words in the Greek, and I'll open it up, and I'll kind of study it. So we're going to just try a couple of them together. So soul, let's start there. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. So when I click on that, and then I click the summary, it's now going to give me some deep insight as to what that original word meant when it was first written. So it means breath, the soul. It's a noun. It means the vital breath of life, the human soul. What English word, I'm helping you here, is connected to this word in our language? Anybody? I'm, I'm literally moving over it right now. <laughs> Psychology, psyche, right? Look at, see the connection? Okay, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Soul in the original Greek is a word that is connected to the word psyche or psychology. Does that change the meaning for you a little bit? We have this hope as an anchor for our psyche our mind, our emotions, all the things that make up the psychology of who we are. Okay, we've just unearthed something that I think about a little differently now. That word connection has now means something different to me. Let's try another one. 
We have this hope as an, a trustworthy and sure anchor for our souls. Let's try this word, which is sure. It means certain and secure, fixed, uh, properly secure because it's solid footing, built on what does not totter, slip, or fall, safe and reliable. Is there an English word that looks like that that connects to something solid and sure where we will not fall? Asphalt. Okay. That's going to make me think differently. So I will do this word by word. And then after I have done that with all the words, I'll go back and I'll rewrite the whole verse with the understanding of the things that I uh, learned. So when I did this with this verse, here's what I came up with. My hope, this hope is firm. It's unshakable. It's strong enough to walk on like asphalt for my psyche, my emotions and all my feelings. Okay, I have now taken one verse, and now it has a totally different meaning for me. When I'm going through my day and I start to feel anxious about something or overwhelmed by something, I can think, oh, man, everything's starting to feel shaky. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This hope that I have, this is solid ground under my feet. It's like asphalt. I'm not standing on sand. I'm not standing on, like, my lawn right now that's just you're going to sink in it. No, 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 no. This, what I have in Christ, this is asphalt under my feet, And not only that, it's for my mind and my emotions and my spirit. So now I have a totally different way of looking at this verse. Now, there's one other piece that I want to show you as we kind of wrap up this. It says that this hope is an anchor for our souls, not just any hope. So anytime you see a word like this or uh, now then or a transitional word like therefore, so here's a really big theology thing. If you ever see the word therefore, You ask what it's there for, okay? Wow, you guys are a tough crowd, okay? (laughs) But that's the reality. When you see a transitional word like that, you have to ask yourself this question. He says, this hope is an anchor for our soul. He's not just talking about the hope we pull out of the air. He's talking about something specific. So what we have to do is we have to go back and start reading the verses before this one to find out what hope is he talking about. He's talking about something very specific. Well, remember when we said that this is a Jewish audience who have become Christians? Well, if you go back and you read Hebrews 6 and you read the verses before, you're going to see that the author starts to go back and he starts to talk about Abraham. He starts to tell a story about Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish faith. And he starts to recount that God gave Abraham a promise and then he made an oath. And then we can see that God begins to to speak this to him. Now, when you're reading a scripture and you start to see them referring to something that you think might be an Old Testament scripture, can we show up that picture? You might not know this, but those little words and numbers in the center of your Bible, those are cross-references, okay? So in Hebrews over here, 6.13, something is uh, brought up. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, Well, where do I read about that? Well, we go over here and we see in 613, the cross-reference is Genesis 22.16. So now I know that I can go to Genesis and I can read about what he's talking about there. So this is a really helpful tool because a lot of times things go back and forth and one verse is referring to another passage and another verse is referring to another passage. So what what is happening in Genesis 22? Well, God has made a promise to Abraham. He says to this man... 
You are going to be the father of many nations. You are going to have so many descendants that you won't even, they will be more than the stars in the sky. And I'm going to give you land for all those descendants to live in. And it is going to be beautiful. And I am promising this to you. But then 25 years go by. And this promise has still not happened for Abraham. He's 100. His wife is 90. The land God promised him is filled with all kinds of other people. And they're not all too keen on moving out. And so there comes a moment when Abraham says, God, is this really going to happen? Are you really going to fulfill this promise to me? Because nothing around me looks like this is what's going to happen. Everything around me looks hopeless. Everything around me looks like, yes, God made a promise, but it's never actually going to happen. But what God does is he now makes an oath to Abraham. So what's the difference between a promise and an oath? When you proposed to your wife, you made her a promise. But when you had the marriage ceremony, you made an oath, right? That's the difference. So God had promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. But there came a moment when God actually performed a ceremony. And so if I'm reading this and I start to get curious, I can look. When did God perform a ceremony or make an oath to Abraham? And it's going to take me to Genesis chapter 15. And here's the story in Genesis chapter 15 because after this, at this point, Abraham was going, God, I don't know if you're going to come through. And so God instructed Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to get a heifer and I want you to get goats and birds and I want you to kill them and then I want you to cut them in half and I want you to lay them on the ground side by side and leave a space in the middle. Anybody done that before? Anybody? Oh, no. Me neither. Oh, oh yes, Austin, perfect. <laughs> I saw that hand. You can't hide. All right. I, I, I asked all my farmer people. Well, no, none of us know what that is, right? But let me tell you, every single person who would have been reading this in that day and time would know exactly what was about to happen. And you know why? Because this is how they made covenants with one another. It's called cutting covenant. I learned it by going to my cultural background study Bible, which talks about all the histories and culture. And what would happen is in that culture and time, if I was going to make an arrangement with you, if we were going to talk about an arrangement of selling land or becoming business partners or having an arranged marriage, we would make an agreement, we would make a promise, but then we would cut covenant and we would have a ceremony that would make it official. And what would happen is they would sacrifice animals. They would have one on each side and then each person in the arrangement would take turns walking through it. And once you walked through it, you are now giving your word that you will not fail to follow through with the covenant. And they were symbolizing, let me become like this animal if I don't keep my word. And everybody would have known this. They would have done it a million times. They would have seen it a million times. They would have all understood it. So that night, in the middle of nowhere, when Abraham is throwing up his hands going, are you ever going to come through? Nothing looks like it's going to happen, God. That night as it got dark, Abraham was sitting there watching, and suddenly a pillar of fire appeared and walked in between those animals. And God took the promise to covenant and said, Abraham, you can count on it. Not only did God walk through that, he didn't even make Abraham do it. He went so far as to say this is a unilateral covenant. You might screw this whole thing up. You might mess it up. You might make all kinds of mistakes, but it doesn't matter. 
I'm going to follow through with my word no matter what. So the author of Hebrews is looking at this group of people. All their friends are being killed. They're losing everything that they had. They're wondering, are we going to make it? God, we're living for you. Are you going to come through on this thing? And so the author of Hebrews says, hey, hold on. Remember what happened with Abraham? Your father, Abraham? Remember what God did? He made him a promise, but then he made an oath. And all of a sudden, God is reminding them that even though they may not be able to see it with their own eyes, that God who has made a promise will not fail them. And they can have this hope knowing that this God will not fail. And the author of Hebrews is reminding a very tired and worn out people that the promise God made Abraham is the same promise for them. And today, you and I get to read this scripture and think of what God said to Abraham and what God said to the group in Rome, those Hebrews. And we get to remind ourselves that the same God will do the same for us, that he has made a covenant with us. He gave his son for us. It's not dependent on what we do. He will never fail us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And we can have this hope as well as we read the word today. So I want to read Hebrews 6, 19 again with a little bit more. And I want you to think about all the things I taught you today about asphalt and your psyche and the covenant and the promise and the history and who it was being written to and imagining those people sitting in the room hearing about another one of their fellow believers who's just been killed for their faith. And they're asking, God, are you going to show up? And here's what it says. Hebrews 6, starting in 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. For this hope, it's an anchor for our souls, strong and trustworthy. What a beautiful passage. What an encouragement it can be to us. So let's just start with that today. Maybe you just need to hear that today, that God is there for you. He is not going to forsake you. That there is asphalt under your feet today. No matter what you're facing, God is with you. But more than that today, I am praying that something has ignited in you to the beauty of the scriptures how incredibly intricate it is. It thrills me when I start reading and find this connects to this and this connects to this. And it never fails that I start reading and I just stop and go, oh God, you're so incredible. You use so many different ways to reveal yourself to us. And I can read the same passage a hundred times and still learn something more about God every single time. So I am praying that you as followers of Christ will grow in your study of scripture. And maybe for you today, you are starting at the basics. You're like, this is all new to me. And you just need to go out and find yourself a really good study Bible. Or maybe you need to get a really good devotional so that you can just start every day ingesting the scripture and then instructions of what other people have gleaned from it. But some of you have been serving God for a long time and you are still not spending a lot of time digging into the word. Can I challenge you to go a step deeper in your study of scripture? Can I challenge you to begin to 
to piece all the things together, to begin to understand the whole of scripture in a new way. Ask God to begin to ignite a love for his word in your heart. Because I promise you, the more you dig, you are going to find the treasures of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. It truly is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And God, we want to be people of the word. Lord, we know that we need to be grounded in the strength of scripture. And so I am praying today that you would just absolutely ignite a fire in every single one of us of a love for your word, that it would thrill us, that we would look forward to spending time in your word. And so God, I pray that you would help every person here find the right method, the right time, the right resources, anything that we need, God, to be able to study the scriptures in a way that's going to make it alive and real to us. We thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any more questions about resources or anything, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. God bless you. Have a great week.